Good morning, church. It is good to be with you today, and happy Sabbath to you. I'm really glad you're here today, and a very warm welcome to our guests and visitors. I hope and pray that you're, you feel welcomed and encouraged. And if you're watching online, welcome. I know Bailey's watching from his dorm room, so welcome, Bailey, and glad you're, glad you're watching. Um, is anyone besides me surprised that I'm up here today speaking? <laughs> Thank you, Rob. <laughs> well, can't... <laughs> Candidly, um, being up front is way, way out of my comfort zone. I, I really prefer one-on-one -on -one in small groups. I know some of you may be surprised to hear that. I've, I've never been called uh, quiet, um, ever. But uh, this, this uh, getting up front is, um, is uncomfortable for me. And uh, I, was, I was praying and preparing for today. I was trying to remember, like, something must have happened in my, in my childhood that made me so un uh, uncomfortable getting up front. And then it hit me. Um, I think my nervousness of speaking in front began from a very traumatic experience I had in my eighth grade year at Battle Creek Academy. And as I thought about it, there's so many people I could blame. Um, <laughs> this is the first time I publicly shared this, and I'm just going to call this group therapy if you'll work with me here. So one day during school, I'm just sitting there in class, minding my own business, when my teacher, Miss B, excitedly announced to the class that we were going to have a talent show and that she expected everyone to participate, and we would extra credit for doing so. Well, all I remember hearing was the words extra credit, and I likely knew I needed that, no matter what subject it was. Many of my classmates quickly signed up to play their instrument, sing a song, recite a poem, and other predictable stuff like that. Trust me, no one wanted to hear me play my cornet or sing a song, then or now. <clears throat> I had no idea what I could possibly do for a talent show, and uh, several days went by, and Miss B finally approached all those that had not signed up for anything. And when she got to me, she asked me what I wanted to do for the talent show. I told her that I still had no idea. I remember her suggesting that I recite the Gettysburg Address. She excitedly told me that it was a short speech and the most remembered presidential speech in U.S. history. I reluctantly agreed, only after being reminded of that much-needed extra credit. As the days got closer, I remember getting more nervous. But in the meantime, my mom had asked one of my friends, who was a grade ahead of me, to video my Gettysburg Address. John was known in our school for videotaping events for people because his family had a video camera, not like we have today on our phones. This is much like the one you see here. <clears throat> if, you <laughs> if you're under 40, believe it or not, this is not a TV camera. I remember being so frustrated with my mom for asking him. She probably said something like this to me, you'll thank me someday. That day hasn't come yet. <clears throat> well, it was finally dress rehearsal day and one of my classmates' mom was creating the costumes with our endless production budget. My costume, I remember it well. It was a stovepipe hat made out of black construction paper along with a beard made from painted and glued cotton balls. Rehearsal didn't actually go too bad, but then the big day was finally here. When it was my turn, I quickly walked to the center of the gym stage. I remember seeing what several thousand, it seemed like several thousand people. It was probably closer to 50. And right there, front and center, was my friend John, smiling and giving me a thumbs up sign <clears throat> with his video camera on his shoulder. I was so nervous as I began the famous four score and seven years ago. Our fathers brought forth on this cotton a new nation, conceived of liberty, and dedicated the proposition, and I walked off the stage. <laughs> I remember looking back at my knees shaking so bad, 
And thankfully, to my knowledge, there are no pictures or video of that event. I'm sure if I ever run for public office, they will surface. <clears throat> so let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for your invitations to serve you. I pray, Lord, that you would use our experiences as we think about them today and that we would be mindful of how you're working each of our lives. I pray, Lord, that I would not get in the way of any message you have for each one here today. In your name, amen. So I've titled my message today, God's Invitations. Other considered titles were Getting Out of Your Comfort Zone or Who Am I? So a couple weeks ago, I'm in Atlanta, minding my own business once again, and I get a text from Pastor Rufo that simply said, do you have a few minutes to talk? I thought, how nice, my pastor wants to say hello and see how my day's going. <clears throat> so I give him a call when I got to the airport, I started sharing several things with him, and as I'm getting ready to get on the plane, I said, hey, did you call for something specific? He shared that someone had canceled to speak on September 30th and wanted to know if I would be willing to preach. My first reaction was all the reasons I wanted to say no. I shared with Pastor that preaching was way out of my comfort zone and I much prefer smaller groups. Well, since I was about to get on the plane, I bought myself some time and told him that I'd pray about it during my flight and call him when I land. As we were hanging up, he said, if it makes you feel any better, you're my last resort. Because <clears throat> he and Anna were going on an anniversary trip. Well, I kind of felt bad for him because several months ago when he found out I was from Battle Creek, he shared with me that several years ago he and Anna actually went to Battle Creek for their anniversary, the anniversary celebration. And please don't mishear me. I love Battle Creek. It, it did me well. But Pastor and Anna, I think, are the first couple I've ever met that went there for an anniversary celebration. <laughs> well, the flight from Atlanta to Chicago is a pretty quick flight. When I sat down in my seat... I prayed for God to put a message on my heart if it was his will for me to say yes. Well, maybe because the air is thinner at 35,000 feet or I felt closer to heaven. But immediately I prayed, the thought started coming, coming to me of getting out of my comfort zone and accepting God's invitation came to me. I had so many thoughts flooding my mind that I opened my computer and started making notes for today's message. It occurred to me that as soon as I was willing to get out of the way and quit making excuses, that God was wanting to give me all that I needed. You should know that this isn't my first sermon, though. Many years ago, I gave my first and only sermon to date right here at this church, and it didn't go well. I prepared a strong 30-minute message. I rehearsed it, and I was ready. My message was titled, Expect Christ's Return. I spoke so fast that you'd think the second coming was happening immediately after my message. <laughs> at the conclusion of my sermon, I looked at the, back, at the clock at the back of the sanctuary, and I for sure thought it was broken, or at least the batteries were dead, when I realized I'd shared my entire 30-minute message in just under 10 minutes. <laughs> well, while walking out after the closing song, Mike Barica was sitting about seven rows back on the left. He stopped me and shook my hand and pulled me in and whispered, that was the best sermon I've heard this month. <clears throat> it wasn't until driving home that I realized it was the first Sabbath of the month. <laughs> well, coincidentally, this, pa this past summer, Jen Bailey and I visited the Billy Graham Library in Charlotte, North Carolina. It was shared that the first time Billy Graham was asked to preach, he prepared his sermon 
and just for insurance, he borrowed four other sermons from a friend to fall back on, just in case. He concluded his first sermon in under eight minutes, sharing all five of those sermons. <laughs> so I feel like I'm in good company. But today, for some insurance, I did ask Sam Kelly to tell the children's story. So thank you, Sam. <laughs> and I appreciate Ed and Jonathan doing special music. So thank you very much. So backing up, I remember an early conversation I had with Pastor Rufo about this time last fall when he was going to meet with our pastoral search committee. So in the, mor late in the morning, he, was, he had agreed to come and do the, uh, the, the devotion for the school. And I decided to come and, and, and meet him there and, and uh, kind of see how he connected with the kids and just at least uh, get a chance to, to see who, who be, the pastoral search team would be meeting with. After the worship, we, end, we ended up talking for over an hour, and he asked about my hopes and dreams for this church. I shared that I wanted to see our church get out of our comfort zone and grow. I rem remember him asking specifically if I thought this church was willing and ready. I said, I think so. I hope so. Well, I, the, a few Sabbaths ago when we had outdoor church, I remember uh, appreciate pastor encouraging us to consistently make read time every day to read your Bible. It has been a big blessing to me and an important reminder uh, to do this daily. Sometimes you get caught up in the business of life and you get started and hit the ground running, and, and I appreciate the reminder he gave us to do so. And so today, if you'd spend a few moments in turning your Bibles to Exodus 3, we're going to spend our time here today. And Cameron, I appreciate you reading scripture. I know most of you are used to pastor teaching us a different Hebrew word each week. I don't have a Hebrew word to share with you, so instead I thought we'd study about a Hebrew man. We're going to take a look at Moses' experience when God called him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. When I've asked or been asked in the past what Bible character I'd most like to meet, Moses is always on my top ten list. What thoughts come to your mind when you think of Moses? For me, magnificent, great leader, man of God are words that quickly come to my mind. However, Moses had quite a journey getting to that, that burning bush encounter with God at the young age of 80. That encounter changed his life forever, as well as countless generations to follow forever. So Moses, a former prince of Egypt, finds himself far, far away from the life, lifestyle, and culture that he grew up with. Here he is now, an old man, having tended the flock of his father-in-law's his father-in-law is a hired hand for the past 40 years. In Exodus 3, 1 through 3, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock into the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, otherwise known as Mount Sinai, where Moses would later receive the Ten Commandments from God. You know, it's interesting to think about that God had been preparing Moses for something big through this experience as a shepherd. They were not 40 wasted years, or they didn't have to be. You know, sheep are prone to wander, and Moses must have learned to deal with wayward sheep. He must have learned patience, tolerance, and endurance during those 40 years. It would have given him a small taste of what it would be like dealing with being a leader of the Hebrews, whose heart was always turning back toward Egypt. On the other hand, it must have been somewhat easier to tend a flock rather than, to, to flock to, the, the, rather than lead the Hebrews because sheep and goats would not complain 
nor threatened to stone him. While tending the flock was not comparable to rescuing a nation of people, it was the closest real-life experience available to prepare him for where God needed him next. Moses had learned to survive these harsh conditions in the desert. He had learned to protect the young and the weak in these hazardous environments. I imagine being a shepherd had made Moses a tender and sensitive leader who was in tune with the weaknesses and failing of, the, failing of those who followed him. He had time to be with God and to order his life. He had left an environment of seeing the harsh treatment and injustices of his people. He was in a place now where God was able to refine his character and prepare him for something great. Many people may look at Moses' time in the desert as a wasted time, but it may have, may have been the most formative years of his life where God transformed him. God was going to use Moses' passion for justice now, but now as a servant of God. If you read Moses 3-4 with me, God picks up and says, So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. I picture God having a conversation with a trusted friend. Through the next several verses, God shares with him who he is, that he is aware, he cares, and understands the condition of his people, and that he's, he's got to make things right, and the time is now. Then immediately following in verse 10, God says to Moses, come now, you're my guy, let's do this. Over the next while, God and Moses have a conversation as Moses shares with God five excuses or reasons why God should choose somebody else, anybody else. We read in verse 11, it says, But God said to Moses, Who am I, that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses had likely grown quite content with his life in Midian, perhaps even forgetting at times the sin that drove him from Egypt originally. How could he now forget that God is calling him back to that very place? God so often chooses the most unlikely people to fulfill his work and mission. He chooses people like Moses, Jonah, Peter, you and me. God didn't accept Moses' excuse. How many times have you and I had a call to serve God in one way or the other, but we excused it that we're not good enough? There's someone more qualified, more capable. And the promise that God gave him simply was, I will be with you. And he said, this is your sign that you'll come back to serve God on this very mountain. So God was telling Moses that he will not see the fulfillment of this promise until he's finished much later. It required Moses to have faith as his sight. He wasn't ready to do that. In Exodus 3.13, Moses again comes back to God and says, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent, to you, has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? You remember that Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household. He must have had every advantage to learn and grow. He still questioned his abilities. He missed the point. It wasn't about him. It was about God. God was asking him simply to be his vessel as he's asking you and me each day in one way or the other to be his vessel. There's a prayer that I've heard many times and I've prayed myself, Lord, make me willing to be willing. God was calling Moses to fulfill his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
God didn't accept this excuse either. If we go on in verse, chapter 4, verse 1, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me. Listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. Now this excuse to me seems quite natural. Being, very, being vulnerable can be scary, especially to a potential, potentially hostile group. God was not going to let Moses hide behind these natural human fears. Instead, he gave him two miraculous signs right there to share that would give him the confidence he needed. A rod that would turn into a serpent and the ability to turn his hand leprous and make it whole again simply by putting it back inside his jacket. God didn't dismiss this excuse. He equipped Moses to overcome it. But again, in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, Moses replies back to, to God and says, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So Moses is saying in, in this time that, that we've been talking, I'm still not any better at speaking than I was when we started. I'm not sure whether Moses would have, was a bad public speaker. He was scared. Maybe he became withdrawn due to his time in the desert. Maybe he had a speech impediment, or maybe he was just being humble. You've likely heard the expression, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. To this excuse, God simply replies in verse 11 and 12 of chapter 4. So the Lord, the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes the, makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, I the Lord? Now therefore, again, go, and I will be with you. I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. Who has made man's mouth? God is asking him an answer that he obviously knows the answer to. Just says, he says, go, I'll give you what you need to say. But again, if we read in verse four, chapter 4, verse 13. But he says, oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whoever else you may send. Moses' final excuse is rather desperate. Please, Lord, anyone but me. You don't understand, Lord, please. I imagine God being quite frustrated by now. In righteous anger, God calls Aaron to serve alongside his brother, a man with the abilities that Moses felt he lacked. God was asking Moses to let faith be his sight. I wonder what Moses missed out on because of his lack of faith in God and having to have Aaron by his side. Moses was focused on his deficits rather than on the power and abilities of God. Many times, God is simply saying to us, do you trust me? Have you examined the evidence I've given you? Am I trustworthy? Do you trust me? However, when this 80-year-old man, this shepherd, finishes with all of his excuses, he shows amazing single-mindedness when he finally accepts the call. While slow to accept it, he holds fast now faithfully until his death. I really believe that God is wanting and willing to work with each of us where we're at right now. Not next year, not next, next five years from now. He wants to use us where we're at right now. He simply asks us to stop making excuses. Philippians 1.6 reminds us, He who began a good work in us will see it through to completion. Believe that he's began a good work in you. Moses was passionate about justice. God simply wanted to use this passion for justice, for something good. Moses just simply had to be willing. 
So I was thinking, you know, uh, again, my experience with this church um, and some reluctances I've had about getting involved from time to time. So more than 10 years ago, I got an unexpected call from our church nominating committee asking me to be on the school board. My first thought was how silly this would look if my former teachers and friends ever knew that. I knew I appreciated and believed in Christian education, but I am not an educator. In spite of that, I said yes. And then a couple years later, I was asked to chair the school board. Candidly, I will tell you I had no idea what I was doing. But you know, God has continuously surrounded me with wonderful people that have also been willing to give of their time and use their life experience to make decisions and bless others. From my time on the school board, I've realized that I have such a passion for Christian education, more than I even thought I did. I'm thankful that someone or the committee saw something in me to be even be considered and asked. It has helped me grow immensely, and more importantly, see firsthand how God has continuously provided for our school. Quite honestly, through the generosity of this church family. There are two texts with, relating to the school that I often remind myself of. And first one, Philippians 4.19, it says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. The other verse that I often remind myself is Psalms 37.5, Commit your ways to the Lord and you will succeed. You know, growing up, I'd sometimes hear comments from adults at my church or school when they'd notice something, need, something that needed to be fixed or improved or changed. They should do something about that, I would hear at the time, I didn't know or think much about who they were. When I got a bit older, it hit me that we are the they. There is no mysterious group or committee. It's us. You know, how many times have we said that we're not qualified? We're too busy. We're too young. We're too old. Someone else would be a better fit. I've made far too many mistakes in my life. That's not my gift. I'm uncomfortable, or maybe someday. It doesn't matter what season of, life, season of life you're in, God is calling you. If you're breathing, you're most likely old enough and young enough for God to work through you. The real question for each of us is, are you willing? God wants to use our life experiences to reach us and help and use us to reach others. He wants to stretch us, to grow us, and get us out of our comfort zone. I believe God is simply saying again, do you trust me? For just a moment, I want to speak mostly to those in middle school through those in their mid-twenties. You're at such a critical time in your life. Don't squander it. I've heard the expression before that youth is wasted on the young, meaning that you may not fully understand the beauty and gift of youth until it's gone. Well, it isn't wasted, or at least it doesn't have to be. I encourage you, if you're in this age bracket particularly, to prayerfully and intentionally acknowledge God in all your ways. In Proverbs 3, 6, he's promised to direct your paths. In James 1, 5, he says, if you need wisdom, just ask for it. Be prayerful and careful of how you spend your time, your friendships, your relationships. I encourage you to ask God to show you his perfect plans for your life and dedicate this time in your life to discovering God's calling for you. You know, in closing, I believe one of the biggest reasons so many times we miss or dismiss God's invitation is simply that we are too distracted. Perhaps we, don't, we haven't made the time with God a priority. 
one thing I've learned on my, four, my 47 years is that if you don't make spending quality time with God a priority, it simply won't happen. It's critical to be intentional about it. Every day, set time aside and a place aside where it's quiet and you can be by yourself with God, where you can read your Bible and hear him speaking to you. Moses found that quiet time in the wilderness for 40 years as a shepherd and spending the next 40 years in that same wilderness helping to prepare his people to receive the gift promised them so many generations before. There's a quote I've really appreciated by Ralph Waldo Emerson that reads, let us be silent that we may hear the whisper of God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the gift and power of prayer. I thank you so much that you want to work with us, to use us as your vessels. I pray, Lord, that we would be willing to be willing to say, here am I, send me. In your name we pray, amen. Happy Sabbath, church. You may be seated.